Welcome to another inspirational message from Gateway North Church based out of Winnipeg, Canada. Your Sunday sermon, any day of the week. We have um, a new member of our family. There's a new member of the Todd family, and uh, we're going to introduce you to him this morning. This is Caspian. Yeah, cute, isn't he? Yeah, he's really, really cute and cuddly, and he was doing very well until there was a moment when he had something in his mouth that he really liked. We wanted to get him something out of his mouth, and all of a sudden, it was a and this very cute, adorable-looking puppy turned into this monster bear who's like, don't touch my treat. Um, our pet-owning friends and uh, the dog trader whose help we got were telling us this is resource guarding. He's guarding his resources, which is all very well and good, but if he snaps at the wrong person in the wrong time in the wrong way, that's not going to be helpful. And so part of training our dearly beloved new member of our family is to help him to understand that he doesn't have to resource guard. He doesn't have to snap at people who go after things that he really feels are precious to him. Because if he does that in the wrong context, say if a little kid goes after one of his treats or something like that, we're we're in big trouble, right? Uh, The kid's in trouble, the dog's in trouble, and everything else. Apart from that, when he resource guards like that, it puts a distance in our relationship. You know, we have this very close relationship, Caspian and us, you know, this deep family tie. But when he, when he goes, rawr, when you're trying to help him, it's like he makes this decision that he'd rather have his treat than the relationship, right? Isn't that what he's saying? Like, get away. And so suddenly you feel like you're giving this dog the, the blessing of your heart. And, and he ought to be so grateful. And he is grateful and, uh, until something happens when you might have to remove it from him. And then all of a sudden he's not so grateful anymore and he barks at you. So we're in the process of teaching Caspi not to resource God, which is not an easy process. You know, we're not dogs. But we can act the same way. We can resource God too. Things that are precious to us, things that we feel we need, and they're things that we feel we need to hold on to. If someone tries to touch them, or someone tries to take them away from us, or if God tries to touch them, sometimes there's this that comes out of us. Maybe not like Caspian, we all the gums go up and the teeth go out, or whatever. But actually, it probably feels the same to the people around us. And maybe it feels the same to God who's trying to bless us in what he's doing. And so God teaches us not to resource God because he wants to bring us into a more fuller trust of him and the life that he wants to give us. You know, when that dog is resource guarding over one little treat, what he doesn't know is we've got a whole bag of treats on the countertop. He, he doesn't have to go wild over this one treat. There's, there's bags of this stuff. But when he does that, it's like, I'm not giving him another treat. Not if he's going to act like that, right? And so God teaches us not to resource God because he has all the resources of heaven for us. That he wants to bring us into. But if we react wrongly to the gifts that he gives us, 
that can actually restrict us from moving into the more that God has. And so God teaches us not to resource God, which is exactly what he was doing with a man called Abraham. And so we've been going through Hebrews chapter 11 and the chapter of faith. We're going to read from verse 17, just a couple of verses this morning, about how God is teaching Abraham not to resource God. Let's see how he does it. Verse 17 says this, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Just a little bit of a background to the story. If you've been coming the last few weeks, you'll have heard some of this last week when Len shared with us. Abraham and Isaac had not been able to have children. And their lack of children had carried on into their later years. And in their later years, God came to them and he gave them amazing promises about their descendants. He said, your descendants are going to be as many as the stars of the sky or the sand in the seashore. You're going to have loads of descendants. But they're thinking, we can't because we're too old to have kids. And God came back to them at another time when Abraham was 100 years old and and Sarah was 90 years old and said, this time next year I'm going to come back to you and you're going to have a child. And Sarah laughed. She thought that was ridiculous. Should I have this pleasure in my old age? However long she tried to have children as a mother, there came a point in her life when a time in the month ends and whatever, and she's into that season of life, and she stops being able to have children. She's been in that season probably for 30 plus years already. And all the pain of not having their own child that's followed them all the way through their life is even more now than it was at the beginning. And then all of a sudden, God says, you're going to have a son. And he even tells them their name of the son. He said, you're going to call your son Isaac, which means he laughs because he's going to bring joy to you. So she laughed, but because she was cynical about it. Abraham also laughed. He was cynical earlier on about it as well. But somehow we read, as Len was telling us yesterday, in the midst of all of that, they trusted God that what God said was going to come to pass. Despite their cynicism and unbelief and everything else, they trusted that something was going to happen. And a year later, Isaac's born. So you've got this boy that's born to them. When she's 90, he's 100. And this has brought huge joy into their lives. You can imagine that. And now here, just a few chapters later, if you want to read the story, it's in Genesis chapter 22. God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to take Isaac and I want you to bring him to a mountain that I'm going to tell you and I want you to offer up your son to me. Wow. That's a crazy thing to ask, isn't it? And to us in our day, that's unbelievable. For Abraham, it wasn't quite so unbelievable. There were a number of 
uh, countries, nations around Abraham who practiced killing their children and offering them to the gods to make the gods happy. That's what some of the nations around them thought was the way of appeasing and pleasing God. And so when God came to Abraham and said, I want you to take your son and offer him up, Abraham could have been thinking, well, that just means God's just like every other God all the way around. That's what he needs from me. He needs me to offer up my firstborn son. We find out later in the Bible that God hated that practice. He hated the fact that these other nations were offering up their children. So why would he ask Abraham to do this? Well, the writer to the Hebrews tells us why. He says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested. God was testing him. We want to talk this morning about what we do when God asks for it back. What do we do when God asks for it back? Because that's exactly what happened here to Abraham. God gave him this beautiful gift, and then he asked for it back. Kind of feels a very big reality of a very small example when we give Caspi our little treat and we ask for it back because we're trying to teach him not to resource God and to trust us that we're going to look after him and give him what he needs. God asks for it back, and he tests him by doing it. And what is he testing? He's testing various levels of Abraham's heart. Let's unpack this a little bit. God asks and tests Abraham because he asks for Abraham for his first fruits. He asks him for his first fruits. You see here, he was on the point of offering up his only son. If you remember a few weeks ago, Dave Perry taught us about Abel. He was the first person who's mentioned in this chapter of faith who's commended because he brings an offering that God receives and is pleased with. Cain, his brother, brought an offering that God didn't receive. And Dave explained to us a few weeks ago why God received Abel's offering but didn't receive Cain's. And it was because Abel had offered the firstborn of his flock and the choice members of his animals. Cain got all his fruits and vegetables together and he gave some of them to God. Well, that's a good thing to do, isn't it? Why would God honor Abel for his offering and not so much Cain for his offering? Well, it was because he offered the first fruits. Let's unpack that. What what does that mean? Why would that be more precious to God? When you offer your first fruits, you offer all that you have at the time. He offered his only son. He didn't have other children to choose from. He only had one. And God had promised him many descendants. But God asked him back for the firstborn, for the first fruits. 
when Abel took the first fruits of his flock and offered them back to the, to the Lord, he was offering him all he had at the time. He was trusting that if he gave God what God gave to him first, God would provide for him. He understood that he didn't need to resource God with God. If he gave God the first fruits, God was going to amply and bountifully supply for him the rest. Cain waited till he figured out how much he had. And when he figured out how much he had, then he thought, I'll give God this bit. Because then I've got enough left. Do you understand the difference? God asks Abraham for his firstborn. He's teaching him not to resource God. Because he doesn't need to. Because God's going to provide for all his needs. God actually put that principle into the life of the Israelites, his people. He said, I want you to bring your first fruits. Chris was talking about it. The first fruits of your land, the first fruits of your flock. You bring your first fruits to me. Gave them a number of 10%, a tithe. And when you bring that first fruits to me, what you're doing, it's not the offering that pleases God, you see. It's the faith. It's the faith to believe that if I give God the first fruits, he's going to take care of the rest. Do you understand? Because at the beginning of Hebrews, we've already been told what pleases God. Right? Which is that it pleases God when we trust him. It's faith that pleases God. And that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And so God asks for the first fruits back. When Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and they were asking for things, he, he said to them, it was a side comment, but it's, a, it's an important side comment. He said, don't neglect the tithe. Don't neglect giving your 10%. Yep, you've got to look after justice and mercy. Those are important things to do, but don't stop doing that. The early church was known for its generosity. Bringing to God from what they had, they sold fields and they brought it to the Lord. Huge, generous gifts that they gave. And they gave of their first fruits because they trusted God would take care of the rest. And today as we live in our lives, God is still teaching us not to resource God. Because he has so much more for us. And one of the ways he does that is he asks us for our first fruits. Bring that first offering from whatever God gives to us. 10%, 11%, 20%, whatever God puts on your heart. Generous giving. Bring it to the Lord. Give it to the Lord as first fruits. You might say, well, where's the rest of my finances going to come from? Well, God's teaching us to resource God because he has abundance of finances to give us. God tested him by asking for his firstborn. God tested him by asking him for what was most precious to him. We can't bypass the fact that this got right to the core of Abraham's heart. I can only imagine what he was feeling as he's taking his son up the mountain. And you read it, he's fully intending to put the knife into him. Because he's believing God's going to raise him from the dead. 
you imagine the turmoil inside his heart as he's doing this? The pain he's feeling. God sometimes asks for what is most precious to us. One of the great privileges of pastoring is watching God's people go through really hard times in really good ways. I've seen it many times. It's not that people don't get angry. It's not that people don't grieve. It's not that people don't cry. It's not that people don't come back to God and ask questions. But at the end of the day, they find their way back to a place of God is good. God loves me and God's with me. I remember the morning that Sandy Alexander passed away. And we were all standing outside the room praying, praying, praying. Lord, bring her through. It seemed bizarre. Came from nowhere. She went in with a cough. I prayed with her the night before. We were laughing together. I anointed her with oil. I wasn't expecting anything different. And we're standing outside of the room and we can see something's wrong. And we're praying, praying, praying. And, and she died. We went in around the bed. We stood around the bed. We were praying for God to resurrect the dead. And eventually the nurses are like, you need to leave this alone. You need to leave this alone. And Art, her husband, spoke out around the quiet, around the bed. And he said, if God was good yesterday, he's good today. And he's going to be good tomorrow. And he is. But God sometimes asks for the most precious back. Some of you have lost people that you love before their time in our understanding. Some of you have lost people that we love in their time, but we weren't ready to let them go. Some of us have lost children who've walked away from the Lord. God sometimes asks for the most precious back that's what he did to Abraham God asks for our first fruits God sometimes asks for the most precious God sometimes asks for the key to the promises back look at what he says he offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said through Isaac shall your offspring be named God had told Abraham, it wasn't a promise. When I wrote this down, did I put promise? Yeah. I, key to the promise. That's actually wrong. It's key to the promises. There wasn't just one promise coming through Isaac. All the promises that God gave to Abraham were coming through Isaac. There were many promises. And Abraham had tried to ha- make it happen through other people. He, was, he had, a, he had a, a child with his slave girl. And God says, no, it's not through anybody else. Well, is it going to be through my, my, serve, my lead servant? No, it's not going to be through anybody. It's going to be through Isaac. Everything's going to come through you through Isaac. And now I want you to take Isaac and take him up the mountain and I want you to offer him to me. That makes no sense. Lord, you want me to give back to you. You've got all these treasure chests of promises in this bank vault. And you've given me the key. And I'm going to open the door and then you say, give me the key back. What? That doesn't make any sense. The key to all the promises. Are you going to 
Trust me. Sometimes God even asks for our laughter back. God called him, he laughs. And then he asked for it back. You know, there's seasons in our lives sometimes of sadness. You know, Paul, who said rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice in Philippians 4.4, also said in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 10, when he's talking about his team, we are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Joy is not the lack of sorrow. You can be joyful and sorrowful. You can be grieving. You can be in pain. You can be struggling with all sorts of different things and yet have a deep down, somewhere deep down in here, trust in Jesus. He's going to look after us, but it still does not negate the pain. And sometimes for some of us, we go through seasons when God seems to have taken our laughter back. Don't panic. If we have a theology that we should be laughing every day and there should be no sadness in it, we're living in the wrong world. God knows and he understands. And he's with us in the middle of it all. But sometimes seasons like that happen in our life. What do we do when God asks for it back? Well, what did Abraham do? Look what he did. He offered it up. His only son. The key to all his promises. The joy of his life. He offered him up. He turned God's ask into an act of worship. And when God asks for it back, if we can turn that ask into an act of worship, it will set us free. I can say to Caspian, drop it. He looks at me. Drop it. Eventually, now, he sort of, most of the time, be a whole lot better, wouldn't it? Caspi, give it back to me. Give it back to me. If he could come up to me with this thing in his mouth and go, here, I trust you. I don't just trust you. I worship you. With the gift that you have asked for back. How on earth did Abraham get to that place? Final point here this morning. We don't need to resource God when we believe in a resurrection God. You don't have to resource God. If you believe in a God of the resurrection, look at what Abraham says. This is astonishing to me. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham believed in the God of resurrection. 
In other words, whatever we give to God, whatever we give away to him, he can bring back in multitudes of other ways to us. That's astonishing. It's astonishing because of where you put Abraham in history. This is just 20 chapters after Adam and Eve have sinned by resource guarding in the Garden of Eden. Not trusting God. We're going to take this for ourselves because we don't trust God's going to give us what we need. That's the lie that the enemy told him. You need to resource guard this. You need to take it yourself. You need to look after it. Don't believe God. Don't trust God. And the result of their resource guarding was that they were entered into a curse. Because that's actually what happens. And the curse separated them from God. And the life that God wanted to give them, eternal life, death entered because of their resource guarding. And that was the lot of everybody that had lived in those 20 chapters. Enoch was taken away. They didn't know what happened with him. But everybody else died. Because death was the lot of everybody. And here, 20 chapters later, is a man who believes that God wants to reverse the power of his own curse and set people free. He believes that God wants to raise the dead. How on earth did he get to that place? Well, we discover, if we read through the story, that God had been growing his faith step by step. It started with him calling him out of the land of where he'd been. Come on, come out with me. All the resources he was used to having and, and the family and everybody else that was, he used to, he knew how to live in that land. Those of you who've moved to another land, you know what this feels like. You go to another land, you don't know how to live there. You might have the same skills, but they don't work over here like they worked over here. And so he's learning how to live in a new land. And God looks after him. He learns how to fight battles and God fights for him. Time and again, God meets with him and helps him through stage by stage. And then we come to that story I told you at the beginning about Sarah and himself. And Paul in the book of Romans tells us what Abraham thought about their condition before they had Isaac. Let me read it to you. It says in Romans 4 and chapter 18, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. That word barrenness is literally necrosis. It's the word deadness. So Abraham knew he was just about dead and he knew that Sarah's womb was totally dead. And yet, a little while after God's promise, something started to stir in the deadness of her womb. God was at work in the house. And in a dead womb, God brought Isaac to birth. And Abraham knew that God was a God who resurrected the dead. 
Isaac was a resurrection son before he'd even walked on the planet. He'd already resurrected him once from a dead womb. And now he's asking him back. And Abraham's just thinking, well, Lord, you've done it once. This is going to cost me. It's going to be terribly painful. But I believe you're going to do it again. I'm going to stick a knife in this boy. He's going to die. And and somehow you're going to bring him back to life. His faith had grown step by step by step by step until he began to believe that God could do the impossible. And God could resurrect the dead. We're currently believing God for many millions of dollars for a building. Thankfully, God didn't start with us there. It was a hundred and, what was it, Ron, the first one? 140,000? 140,000. That was a nightmare at the time. Huge amount of money. Right? And, and they, God came through and provided and then it was no now you need to do another and another and another 11 was it 11 renovations we did in the end something like that and God kept providing and providing and providing how do you get to a place where you're suddenly believing God for over 16 million dollars for a building which is what that building's costing if you want to know all the bits about it come out tonight we'll tell you but the fact is God didn't get us to this point by just throwing us a 16 million ask. He got us incrementally building our faith, growing our faith, till we came to a place where this is still a massive ask for us. It's stretching our faith hugely. But God will provide. Because that's who he is. And so somehow Abraham, because he believed God wanted to raise the dead, and all the promises of God that God had given him to come through Isaac were still going to happen even if he killed Isaac. He was able to turn God's ask into an act of worship. All right. My question for you this morning. What is God asking you to bring to the altar today maybe it's our first fruits maybe we haven't yet got to that place of believing God enough that when our first check comes through we can write God our 10% or whatever we give and we're going to trust him for the rest maybe we give but we give when it's all come in because then we're assured of what we've got right Maybe some of us don't give it all right now and don't know what to do with that and find that difficult. I want to encourage you, start incrementally. Ask the Lord for a number. What do you want me to give, Lord? And then do it and see how God builds your faith. Maybe God this morning is asking you for what's precious to you. Not just precious now, But there may be some of you who've lost somebody years ago, but you've never actually let them go. You've never given them back to Jesus for whatever reason. Never been able to. I want to encourage you this morning to let them go. Give them up. There might be other things that are precious to you that are very painful to you. You try and hold on, hold on, hold on. Kids go off and do different things. and It's like, uh, try and hold on. Sometimes you just got to let go. Give them up. 
to Jesus. You've got nowhere else to run. Maybe God's asking you for a key to a promise back. You know, I thought this job was the job that was going to lead me into whatever God had for me. I thought this relationship was the relationship that was going to lead me, whatever it might be, and suddenly it feels like God's asking it back. What does God want us to bring to the altar this morning? Maybe it's our sadness. And as we bring that to the altar this morning, what changes it from this incredibly painful act of just letting go into something that is the sweetest aroma is that we turn it into an act of worship. Abraham entered resurrection life with Isaac after Isaac died. Oh, wait a minute, he didn't die. How, how, how did Abraham get into resurrection life then if Abraham, if Isaac didn't die? Well, because something else did die. When they were going up the mountain and Isaac turned to his dad and says, Dad, where's the, where's the sacrifice for the offering? Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb. My son. That's exactly what he did. Stop, Abraham. Stop. Voice from heaven. What? Look over there. Look at what's caught in the briars. There's a lamb caught by its head, its horns in the briars. And if you will take that lamb as your own offering, that will be the death that brings you into resurrection life and saves your son Isaac. You could take that prophetic word that Abraham did and you can emphasize it two ways. God will provide himself a lamb, my son. He'll give you a lamb. Or God will provide himself a lamb. Because that's what he did. When he sent his one and only son. His most precious. His firstborn. The key to all the promises that God has for us. The joy of all the earth. God sent him to the cross. His head had what on his head? thorns he was caught not by the thorns but by his submission to the will of God and by so doing his greatest act of sacrifice is turned into the most beautiful act of worship that this earth has ever seen and his death brings us into resurrection life we don't have to die we will physically die. But I am not dying. Are you dying? You don't sound very convinced. If you have Jesus Christ, you have passed from death into life. You may go through a veil. 
but it will take you into eternal life with God forever. And when you get into the riches and the bounty and the amazing, gorgeous treasures of heaven, you'd think, why on earth did I resource God anything in my life? Because I didn't need to. You don't have to resource God when you believe in a resurrection God. Thank you for tuning in to the Gateway North podcast. We hope you've been challenged and inspired from God's word. To find out more about Gateway Church, head to gatewaywinnipeg.com.